Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings, this is Abayomi Azikawe, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Today is Friday, February the 9th, uh, 2024. We're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again to yet another edition of the Pan-African Journal, this special worldwide radio broadcast. Later on, we'll be bringing you our regular Pan-African Newswire report. We'll have dispatches on the South African State of the Nation addressed by President Cyril Ramaphosa, the South African Minister for International Relations and Cooperation, Dr. Nalidi Pandora, has reported harassment by Israeli intelligence agents. Residents of the area around Goma in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo have fled anticipating violence, and the centuries-old art stolen from Ghana during the colonial era has been returned. In the second and third hours, we listen to the State of the Nation address by South African President Cyril Ramaphosa. These and other features will be brought to you during the course of our program. Stay tuned. We'll take our musical interlude uh, with the Umkaltum Orchestra, our Umkaltum Film Festival. This is a uh, concert from 1963. Let's listen in. السيدة أم كلثوم وعن فرقتها الموسيقية وجمهورنا جمهور أم كلثوم وعشاق فنها يصفقون لها يصفقون للفن الشرقي الأصيل الذي تمثله أم كلثوم والذي تعبر عنه بنبرات صوتها بصوتها الشجي بالموسيقى الشرقية بشعر الشباب بأم كلثوم وبعد أن عزف سلام الأمير حية كوكب الشرق السيدة أم كلثوم جمهورها وعشاق فنها ولا تزال الستارة مفتوحة ونحن في انتظار سماع أولى أغنياتها حيرت قلبي
بيتك وقسم تاني قسمتك بيني
Welcome back. Uh, that was uh, Um Kaltum and her orchestra uh, from a live concert in 1963 in Cairo, Egypt. You're listening to the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast for Friday, February the 9th. Uh, 2024. We're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. Right now, we'd like to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment. These are some of the headlines in today's Pan-African Newswire. President Cyril Ramaphosa insisted uh, yesterday that his ruling African National Congress Party is making progress in addressing South Africa's problems, such as uh, record uh, unemployment and electricity crisis and corruption allegations that have been uh, Dennett uh, by his own administration or reputation. Ramaphosa nearly two hours State of the Nation speech uh, to Parliament was largely a defense of his first term in office and the ANC's 30 years in government ahead of elections later uh, this year. Several polls suggest the party, once led uh, by Nelson Mandela, uh, may, of course, uh, suffer another electoral setback, but the party is very positive. Uh, in this regard, we'll listen to the entire speech uh, right after uh, this Pan-African Newswire segment. In other news, as part of the Fight Back campaign uh, in South Africa, uh, the foreign minister and her family, as predicted, have been targets of Israeli threats, uh, she has explained. Israeli intelligence has been threatening pro-Palestinian South African foreign minister Nalidi Pandor and her family, according to South Africa's Mail and Guardian newspaper. This comes amid the country's lawsuit against Israel's military offensive in Gaza, which rapidly descends into a full-scale genocide. And you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal. I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. And in the Eastern uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, the most active rebel groups are attacking a community considered the last line of defense before the region's largest city of Goma. Uh, fleeing residents uh, said this uh, two days ago, even as the rebels claimed they had no intention of seizing the area again. Now, the M23 rebels in a statement, however, warned that attacks targeting our forces and or dis- indiscriminately shelling of civilian populations will be dealt with at their source. The group rose to prominence a decade ago by seizing Goma, an important base for the Congolese forces and for humanitarian workers. And uh, finally, uh, in the North African state of Egypt, a leading human rights group dismissed uh, yesterday the conviction of a prominent political activist as an act of retaliation for his decision to challenge President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi in last year's presidential election. On Tuesday, a Cairo misdemeanor court sentenced former presidential hopeful Ahmed Al-Tatawi, along with 22 of his aides, including his campaign manager, to one year in prison on grounds of disseminating unauthorized endorsement forms for his candidacy. The court also barred Al-Tatawi from national elections for the next five years. It isn't just that the authorities are punishing a peaceful dissident by banning Tantawi Uh, From running in the future elections, the authorities are sending a clear message that no serious challenge to CC will be tolerated. Uh, This is according to a statement uh, from Human Rights Watch. The New York City-based group urged Egyptian authorities to drop all charges immediately. And with that, uh, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal.
In concluding uh, this segment of our program, we'd like to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire uh, is an electronic uh, international news service. Uh, it is, of course, here uh, on a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week basis. The press agency was founded in January of 1998. Since then, it has published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches in hundreds of newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire, all you need to do is go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to have access to today's Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com dot com forward slash pan african journal we'll take a break and uh, we'll be back uh, with more of the pan african journal for this week Republic of South Africa, uh, His Excellency Cyril Ramaphosa delivered his 
State of the Nation address uh, yesterday. We're going to listen to that address. Let's listen in. Speaker of the National Assembly, Ms. Nasibiwe Mapisangagula, Chairperson of the National Council of Provinces, Mr. Amos Masondo, Deputy President of the Republic of South Africa, Mr. Paul Mashatile, and Mrs. Mashatile, former President Thabo Mbeki, former Deputy President Zile Mlambunguka, former Speaker of the National Assembly, Ms. Baleka Mbete, Chief Justice Raymond Zondo, Deputy Chief Justice Ms. Mandy Samaya, various justices who are here present, Mayor of Cape Town, Councillor Gordon Hill Lewis, Dean of the Diplomatic Corps and Regional Deans, the heads of institutions supporting our democracy, eminent persons representing our nine provinces who I just greeted a few minutes ago, members of parliament and fellow South Africans. As we were preparing this State of the Nation address, we were deeply saddened to hear of the tragic passing of Dr. Hage Gengob, the President of the Republic of Namibia. President Gengob was a dear friend to me and to the people of South Africa and a comrade in arms in the struggle for our freedom. He was a champion of African peace unity, progress, and development. May I ask that we observe a moment of silence in his honor as we remember him by rising. Thank you. This State of the Nation Address takes place in the 30th year of our democracy. On the 27th of April 1994, millions of South Africans cast their ballot in a democratic election, many for the very first time in their lives. That momentous day was the culmination of centuries of struggle the struggle to liberate our people from suffering, from dispossession, oppression, exploitation, and poverty and inequality. As we stood in the long winding queues to vote, we turned to one another and spoke of our joy, and sometimes with tears running down our cheeks. 
we embrace friends and strangers alike, encouraged by a sense of a common future that we were about to determine for our country with our votes. We place into these, those ballot boxes not just a vote, but a dream of the country we wanted to build. It was a dream of a South Africa that, in every sense, belongs to all who live in it, united in our diversity. The world watched as Nelson Mandela, the father of our nation, cast his vote in Inanda in KwaZulu-Natal, the land of Ushaga, a hero whose name echoes across the ages, the birthplace of John Langalibale Ledube, the first president of the African National Congress. An organization which united the African people and the home of Chief Albert Lutuli, the first African Nobel Peace Laureate. In many ways, his voting in Inanda at the place where John Langalibale Ledube is buried was symbolic because through casting his vote there, he was reporting back to the first president of the ANC on how far the struggle had been prosecuted. After casting his ballot, Madiba said, this is the beginning of a new era. We have moved from an era of pessimism, division, limited opportunities, turmoil, and conflict. We are starting a new era of hope, reconciliation, and nation building. It is this dream of a free and united people that is woven into our democratic constitution. It is this constitution that has guided our collective efforts over the last three decades to fundamentally change our country for the better. And it must stand at the center of the work that we do now to build a better life for all our people. Over the last three decades, we have been on a journey striving together to achieve a new society, a national democratic society. We have cast off the tyranny of apartheid and built a democratic state based on the will of the people. We have established strong institutions to protect the fundamental freedoms and human rights of all our people. We have transformed the lives of millions of South Africans, providing the necessities of life and creating opportunities that never existed for them before. We have enabled a diverse economy whose minerals, whose agricultural products and manufactured goods are 
exported and reach every corner of the world while creating jobs in our own country. As a country, we have returned to the community of nations, extending a hand of peace and friendship to all countries and all peoples. Just as we cannot deny the progress South Africans have made over the last 30 years, nor should we diminish the severe challenges that we continue to face as a people. We have endured times of great difficulty when the strength of our constitutional democracy has been severely tested. There have been times when events beyond our borders have held back our progress. The global financial crisis of 2007 and 2008 brought to an end a decade of strong growth and faster job creation. More recently, the Russia-Ukraine conflict has contributed to rising prices of fuel, food, and other commodities across the world and has, as a result, made life more difficult for all South Africans. <clears throat> there have also been times when events at home have shaken the foundations of our constitutional democracy. Perhaps the greatest damage was caused during the era of state capture. For a decade, individuals at the highest levels of the state conspired with private individuals to take over and repurpose state-owned enterprises, law enforcement agencies, and other public institutions. In some cases, these activities were enabled by local and multinational companies. Billions of rands that were meant to meet the needs of ordinary South Africans were stolen. Confidence in our country was badly eroded. Public institutions were severely weakened. The effects of state capture continue to be felt across society from the shortage of freight locomotives to crumbling public services from poor performance of our power stations to failed development projects in a number of places. But South Africans, including many honest and dedicated public servants, fought back and worked together to defeat state capture. Even then, attempts to thwart the country's recovery continued. We recall with great anguish the events of July 2021 when individuals loyal to their own interests sought to provoke a popular insurrection leading to a tragic loss of life and widespread destruction. Again, they were unsuccessful. These efforts to, do, to undo the hard-won gains of our freedom failed because the people of South Africa stood firm 
together in defense of our Constitution and its promise of a better life for all. It was It was the same determination that enabled the country to endure the devastation of COVID-19, the worst global pandemic in over a century. More than 100,000 South Africans lost their lives to the disease and more than 2 million people lost their jobs. Yet it would have been far worse if we had not acted together as South Africans to stop the spread of the virus, to support our health workers, to protect the most vulnerable, and to roll out an unprecedented vaccination program. We were able to unite society around a common effort to save lives and livelihoods. I want to pay tribute to many thousands of South Africans who made financial contributions to the Solidarity Fund, to the workers who produced medical supplies, and to the nurses, the doctors, and other health workers, to our soldiers and police who also risked their lives to care for those who were ill. Another major, another major challenge we had to address during this period is gender-based violence and femicide, which we characterized as the second pandemic. As the government, we have introduced laws and directed more resources to prosecuting perpetrators providing better support to survivors and promoting women's empowerment at an economic level. As a society, we must intensify our collective efforts to bring together various efforts that are going to bring gender-based violence and femicide to an end. In in recent years, the country has had to confront the effects of climate change. We have had devastating wildfires here in the Western Cape, destructive floods in KwaZulu-Natal, unbearable heat waves in the Northern Cape, persistent drought in the Eastern Cape, and intense storms in Gauteng and Northwest. Much of the task of this administration was to get our country through these challenges and to work to regain our way. While each of these events has left its mark, our country has weathered every storm and every challenge that we confronted. Yes, we have the scars to show but in every case, South Africans have been resolute. We have not only persevered, but we have come back stronger and more determined from all these calamities that befell our country. All these efforts 
have demonstrated how South Africans value their freedom, a freedom that was won after decades of struggle. The story of the first 30 years of our democracy can best be told through a number of initiatives that have been embarked upon in the 30 years. But I think that the story can best be told through the life of a child who was born at the dawn of our democracy called Tinsualo. Tinsualo, democracy's child, grew up in a society that was worlds apart from the South Africa of her parents, South Africa of her grandparents and great-grandparents. Loko Tinsualo, Africa, South Africa. Ukumekuri Silu Sotala Aswafani Nasilu Swakali Ukumekuri Silu Lesienzaku Ehulumeni Waina Isona Singakota Kurisi Sabitomijaena Pambil. She grew up in a society governed by a constitution, a constitution rooted inequality, the rule of law, and affirmation of the inherent dignity of every citizen. Tinsualo and many others born at the same time as her were beneficiaries of the first policies of the democratic state to provide free health care for pregnant women and children under the age of six. Tinsualo's formative years were spent in a house provided by the state, one of millions of houses built to shelter the poor. We le areha tsoalo, ahwecha hore, dintu, dia ahiwa, di ahiwa ke muso omocha. Wa South Africa. Babang bailem batwala pelukae na pelukae na paneba kulela dinchung samaratarata. Impa yena wila rahaswalwa akwecha kure muso owa South Africa u akhela batu dinchung tedinchinchi. Tinsualo grew up in a household provided with basic water and electricity, in a house where her parents were likely to have lived without electricity before 1994. Go 1994. Abantabaning Yugulelize Lagiti Bebeng and Aukes Kota Utinswalo Ute Magazalo Watola Uguti Ukes Uko Ufawe Ukulume Tinswalo was enrolled in a school in which her parents 
did not have to pay school fees. And each school day, she received nutritious meals as part of a program. That today, the program that today supports 9 million learners from poor families. Hoyut in Swalo, Duvana Duva Achiachikoron, Osikachikoroni, Gamacheron, Kazumazikoro, Uanana breakfast, Kazumachikoro, Uanas Luaza Masia. Yes, it's over the site, Chifinganichakad. Zobazisio, Namus is Yaitea, Gauri, Unamobuso Muswa, Wa Africa Chipembe, whenever Christ has it The Democratic State provided a child support grant to meet Tinsuado's basic needs. This grant, together with other forms of social assistance, continues to be a lifeline for more than 26 million South Africans every month. With this support, Tinsualo, Democracy's Child, was able to complete high school. Through the assistance of the National student financial aid scheme, Tensualo attended one of our Tivet colleges and obtained a qualification. When Tensualo entered the world of work, she was able to progress and thrive with the support of the state's employment equity and black economic empowerment policy. With the income she earned, she was able to save. She was also able to support her parents. She was able to start a family, to move into a better house, and to live a better life. This is the story of millions of people who have been born since the dawn of democracy. Whether people like it or not, this is the reality of many people in our country. But, truth be told, truth be told, it is only part of the story. For despite the remarkable achievements of the last 30 years, many of democracy's children still face great challenges. Millions of young people aged 15 to 24 years are currently not in employment, education or training. There are many who have a metric a diploma or a degree who are not able to find a job or do not have the means to even start a business. Now this 
is a trend that prevails in many countries around the world. While economic growth is essential to reduce unemployment, we cannot wait to provide the work that many of democracy's children need. As government, we have taken steps to address the youth unemployment challenge. I had the privilege yesterday to be in the presence of almost a thousand young people. Thousand young people who were bearing testimony to how through the various initiatives that government has put in place, that the private sector has also put in place, have been able to see progress in their own lives. Three years ago, building on the, on the experience and success of the expanded public works program, we launched the Presidential Employment Stimulus. Through this program, we've been able to create more than 1.7 million work and livelihood opportunities. Through the stimulus, we have placed more than 1 million young people as school assistants in 23,000 schools. If you go around our country and you talk to school principals, you talk to school teachers, they will tell you how beneficial this program has been in assisting them in their schools, but more importantly, how beneficial this program has been to these young people who are being introduced to the world of work. This has provided them with valuable work experience while improving learning outcomes. Through the Presidential Youth Employment Intervention, we have established what we call SA Youth Mobi as a zero-rated platform for unemployed young people to access opportunities for learning and earning. Over 4.3 million people, young people for that matter, are now engaged on the network and 1.6 million have so far secured opportunities. We have, working together with the National Youth Development Agency, the NYDA, set up a number of initiatives to provide opportunities for young people, including the National Youth Service and the Youth Employment Service, where we are cooperating and working with the private sector. A number of companies in our country have signed up to this, as they have seen the need to join in the task of creating job opportunities for young people. These programs matter because work matters to people. The NYDA has played a key role in assisting a number of young people to start their own businesses. Having a job does not only provide an income, it is fundamental to people's sense 
of self-worth, of dignity, of hope, purpose, and inclusion. From the depths of de deprivation and inequality, we have worked over 30 years to ensure that all South Africans have an equal chance to prosper. And we have sought to live up to leaving no one behind. It is not enough to recognize the injustices of the past. We need to correct them. We have introduced laws and undertaken programs to enable black South Africans who were previously disadvantaged and prevented from getting into many opportunities. We've also enabled women to advance in the workplace, to become owners and managers, to acquire land and to build up assets, even as, because they are women, were prevented by laws of the past from doing so. The proportion, the proportion of jobs in executive management held by black people have increased exponentially, almost fivefold between 1996 and 2016. One of the overriding challenges this administration had to deal with when it took office was state capture and corruption. Our first priority was to put a decisive stop to stop state capture, to dismantle the criminal networks within the state and to ensure that perpetrators face justice. We had to do so. We had to do so so that we could restore our institutions and rebuild our economy. We appointed capable people with integrity to head our law enforcement agencies government departments, security services, and companies often through an independent and transparent process. The credibility and efficiency of a number of institutions like the South African Revenue Service have been restored and their performance has improved. Some may not like this, but that is the reality that of, of what has happened. We set up the investigating directorate as a specialized and multidisciplinary unit within the National Prosecuting Authority to investigate uh, corruption and other serious crimes. Great progress has been made in bringing those responsible for all these acts of malfeasance to justice. More than 200 accused persons are being prosecuted as we speak. More are under investigation. Stolen funds are being recovered. Freezing orders. I see you love this. Freezing orders of 14 billion rand have been granted to the NPA's asset forfeiture unit for state capture related cases. 
and around 8.6 billion rand in corrupt proceeds have been returned to the state. A restored and revitalized SARS has collected 4.8 billion in unpaid taxes as a result of evidence presented to the State Capture Commission. While the Special Investigating Unit has instituted civil litigation to the value of 64 billion rand. We have taken steps, including through new legislation, to strengthen our ability to prevent fraud and secure our removal from the grey list of the Financial Action Task Force. With the assistance of business, we have set up a digital forensic capability to support the NPA, especially its investigating directorate, which in due course will be expanded to support law enforcement more broadly. Legislation is currently before Parliament to establish the investigating directorate as a permanent entity with full investigating powers. But there is much more work to be done to eradicate corruption completely. Based on the recommendations of the National Anti-Corruption Advisory Council, we are determined to introduce further measures to strengthen our anti-corruption agencies to protect whistleblowers, to regulate lobbying and prevent the undue influence of public representatives in procurement. We will not stop until every person responsible is held to account. We will not stop. We will not stop until all money stolen has been recovered. And yes, we will not stop until even those corporations, blue chip corporations that were involved in state capture are made to be accountable. The real tragedy of state capture was that it diverted attention and resources away from govern what government should have been doing which is to grow our economy and create jobs. Over the past five years, we have worked earnestly to revive our economy from a decade of stagnation and to protect it from both domestic and global shocks. We have made progress in a number of ways. Our economy today is three times larger than what it was 30 years ago. The number of South Africans who are in employment has increased from 8 million in 1994 to 16.7 million today. Over the last two years, the number of jobs being created has been increasing every quarter and we now have more people in employment 
than before the pandemic. Yet our unemployment rate is the highest it has ever been. Even as employment is growing, more people are entering the job market each year than jobs are being created. We have laid a foundation for growth through far-reaching economic reforms that we have embarked upon, an, an ambitious investment drive and an infrastructure program that is starting to yield results. Companies continue to invest, thousands of hectares of farmland are being planted, new factories are being opened and production is being expanded. We are on track to resolve the most important constraints on economic growth by stabilizing our energy supply and fixing our logistics system. As these obstacles are removed, the true potential of our economy will be unleashed. We set out a clear plan to end load shedding, which we have been implementing with a single-minded focus through the National Energy Crisis Committee. We have delivered on our commitments to bring substantial new power through private investment on the grid, which is already helping to reduce load shedding. Last year, we implemented a major debt relief package which will enable ESCOM to make investments in maintenance and transmission infrastructure and ensure its sustainability going forward. Since we revived our renewable energy program five years ago, we have connected more than 2,500 megawatts of solar and wind power to the grid with three times this amount already in procurement or construction. Through tax incentives and financial support, we have more than doubled the amount of rooftop solar capacity installed across the country in just the past year. We have implemented sweeping regulatory reforms to enable private investment in electricity generation with more than 120 new private energy projects that are now in development. These are phenomenal developments that are driving the restructuring of our electricity sector in line with many other economies have done to increase competitiveness and to bring down their energy prices. Through all these actions, we are confident that the worst is behind us and the end of load shedding is finally within reach. But, but we are not stopping there. To ensure that we never face a similar crisis ever again, we are reforming our energy system to make it more competitive, more sustainable, and reliable into the future. 
We are going to build more than 14,000 kilometers of new transmission lines to accommodate renewable energy over the coming years. To fast track this process, we will enable investment in transmission infrastructure through a variety of innovative investment models. Retaya mobile banaling challenge. Rebabise hore baate bato sebeta leruna kahu Kenya di challenge tabona mo transmission ya mutakasi. Kuete hore transmission ya runa itie. Last year we tabled the Electricity Regulation Amendment Bill to support the restructuring of ESCOM and establish a competitive electricity market. As we undertake these reforms, we are positioning our economy for the future growth in a world shaped by climate change and a revolution in green technologies. In the last three years, our country has, been, has seen the increase in extreme weather events, often with disastrous consequences. This is why we are implementing a just energy transition, not only to reduce carbon emissions and fight climate change, but to create growth and jobs for our people in the future. We will undertake this transition at a pace, at a scale, and at a cost that our country can afford and in a manner that ensures energy security. So we will not be compelled to embark on processes that are going to disadvantage our country in this regard. With our abundance of solar, wind and mineral resources, we are going to create thousands of jobs in renewable energy, in green hydrogen, green steel, electric vehicles and other green products. The Northern Cape, with its optimal solar conditions, one of the very best in the world conditions, has already attracted billions of rands in investment. We are going to set up a special economic zone in the Bukhubai port to drive investment in green energy. There's a great deal of interest already from the private sector with companies such as Sasol and many others who are ready to participate in the boom that will be generated through our green hydrogen energy projects. We have decided to support electric vehicle manufacturing in our country to grow our automotive sector, which provides good, good jobs to thousands of workers. And in this regard, we are already at an advanced stage of cooperating with our neighbors with countries such as the DRC, which is well endowed with critical minerals, with countries such as Botswana, which is already involved in parts of the value chain of automotive 
manufacturing, with all these countries, we are going to be able to form an incredibly powerful ecosystem that is going to enable all of us to benefit from the green energy revolution. We have decided to give special focus to regions such as Mpumalanga to enable the creation of new industries, new economic opportunities and sustainable jobs. And in the past year, we have increased the financing pledges for our Just Energy Transition Investment Plan from around 170 billion rand to almost 240 billion rand. Now to address the persistent effects of global warming, which manifests itself through persistent floods, fires and droughts, we have decided to establish a climate change response fund. This will bring together all spheres of government and the private sector in a collaborative effort to build our resilience and respond to the impacts of climate change. Now this decision was inspired by the persistent calamities that we are subjected to. Almost every year, KwaZulu-Natal experiences massive floods that destroy our infrastructure. Yes, the Western Cape is suffering from wildfires that continue to destroy quite a number of assets in our country. And indeed, many other provinces are actually suffering from <clears throat> the effects of climate change. So this fund, which we hope will gain the attraction of all, like the fund we set up during COVID, will support various areas that suffer from climate change to deal with severe inefficiencies in our freight logistics. We are taking action to improve our ports and rail network and restore them to world-class standards. We have set out a clear roadmap to stabilize the performance of Transnet and reform our logistics system. Working closely with business and labor, we have established dedicated teams to turn around five strategic corridors that transport our goods for export purposes. <clears throat> the number of ships waiting to berth at the port of Durban, which has experienced severe congestion in recent months, has reduced from more than 60 ships in mid-November to just 12 ships at the end of January. Now, that represents progress. <clears throat> Transnet has appointed an international terminal operator to help expand and improve its largest terminal at the port of Durban. And we are overhauling the freight rail system by allowing private rail operators to access the rail network. With the current conflict in the Middle East affecting shipping traffic 
through the Suez Canal, South Africa is well positioned to offer bunkering services for ships that will be rerouted via our shores. We completed, as we all know, the auction of broadband spectrum after more than a decade of delays, resulting in new investment, lower data costs, and improved network reach and quality. Now, these reforms have a profound impact in a society in which access to the Internet has, written, has risen dramatically over the last decade. Less than half of all households had Internet access in 2011, compared to 79% of households in 2022, meaning that South Africans more and more are using the Internet. Some use it to trade, some use it to improve their livelihoods, some use it to learn, but the Internet is being spread more and more, even in our rural areas. Just this week, we published new regulations to reform our visa system, which will make it easier to attract the skills that our economy needs and create a dynamic ecosystem for innovation as well as entrepreneurship. We raised 1.5 trillion rand in new investment commitments through five South African investment conferences, of which over 500 billion has already flown into the economy. To support growth in the mining sector, we are moving ahead with the modernization of our mining rights licensing system and are launching an exploration fund to support emerging miners and exploit new mineral deposits. Through this, mining which has been the bedrock on which the South African economy was built will once again become a sunrise industry. Participation, participation of previously disadvantaged black people is increasing. Black ownership now stands at approximately 39% when compared to just 2% in, 20, in 2004. This is progress that is being made, allowing black people to participate in a key industry in our economy. Investment in infrastructure is gaining momentum. New and innovative funding mechanisms will be utilized to increase construction of infrastructure. The Minister of Finance announced this in his medium-term policy budget statement last year, where he said, we are now going to be able, yes, to fund infrastructure through utilization of innovative new methods. It could be build, operate, and transfer. It could be embarking on investment vehicles 
as well as investment ideas that will enable us to speed up the construction of infrastructure. The Department of Water and Sanitation aims to enhance water resource management by initiating infrastructure projects to secure water supply and diversifying water sources to reduce dependence on surface water. Water being such a major challenge in our country, this is actually answering to the need of our people just to have water. Banuvotala la Africa zonga, babulabula imati, batama vai biela kurmati abanaona, balava kuri, hienda kuri, mati abakona. Bulk water projects are under construction across the country to improve water supply to millions of residents in villages, towns and cities. The following water infrastructure projects are now in progress or have been completed. The Lesotho Highlands Water Project, which is going to invest up to 40 billion rand, is now in progress. Umzimbubu, that we have been talking about for years, has now commenced. Hazelmere Dam, Umkomazi Water Project, Clan William Dam, Sanini Dam, Loscom, Mazakazi, Pipeline from Josini Dam, Giani, Pipeline from Nandoni Dam to Nsami Dam, Pilansbeck Water, Val Haramahara, and the Pipeline from the Val River to Hotazel. Now, all these are projects that are underway or have been completed. In the Eastern Cape, the Msikaba and the Mtento bridges are beginning to rise over the landscape and will be among the highest in Africa once completed. So if you want to find the highest bridge in Africa, you will have to go to the Eastern Cape. The steel used, now the steel used for part of the project is fabricated in Pumalanga and the iron ore comes from the Northern Cape. In the past five years, Sandral, which manages nearly 25,000 kilometers of road, has awarded more than 1,200 projects to the value of 120 billion rand, meaning that the focus on constructing our roads, repairing our roads, yes, even attending to our potholes, is now underway. Yes, it is. Now, you talk to the Premier, you talk to the Premier of the Eastern Cape, he will tell you that many of the roads in the Eastern Cape are now being attended to. Similarly, when you talk to the Premier of the Northern Cape, he will tell you the same. Yes, in November last year, now listen to this one. 
in November last year. In November last year, Cabinet approved a framework for high-speed rail, focusing, focusing initially on the Johannesburg to Durban corridor. As we grow the economy, we are making it more inclusive. Through this redistribution, around 25% of farmland in our country is now owned by black South Africans. And this, this has been confirmed by an imminent, by an imminent agricultural economist, Wandile Sisob. This brings us closer to achieving our target of 30% by 2030. And he says to me, President, we will have exceeded this target by 2030 because a number of initiatives are now underway to ensure that black South Africans have access to the ownership of land. In the last five years, we have supported around 1,000 black industrialists with funding and other forms of support. These black-owned firms employ more than 90,000 workers and contribute many billions of rands to our economy. Now, this is the revolution that is underway to bring more and more black people into the real economy. At the same time, about 200,000 more workers obtained ownership of shares in the companies that they work for, bringing the total worker ownership in companies in South, the South African economy to well over half of a million workers. We see this trend continuing to grow as more and more companies realize that it is beneficial to their own operations and their businesses that their workers should have a stake in the businesses that they work for. And we call upon the private sector to go ahead and increase the participation of their workers in the businesses that they work for. The reforms that we have initiated and the work that is underway will enable us, yes, as I said, to improve our logistic system, to achieve water security, and ultimately it will lead to the creation of jobs. While our challenges have never been greater, our response to these challenges will lead us to greater prosperity than we have ever known. One of the worst injustices of apartheid was the manner in which education was used as a tool to perpetuate inequality and exploitation of black people. Over the 30 years, we have sought to use education as a tool to 
create equality and to empower our people. Our basic education outcomes are steadily improving across a range of measures. The latest metric pass rate at 82.9% is the highest ever achieved. And we congratulate the matriculants of 2023 for achieving this incredible pass rate. And with each new year, learners from no-fee schools are accounting for more and more bachelor passes that are achieved. And as I have often said, this is the silent revolution that is underway, that the children of the poorest parents in our country are now able to produce pass rates that are equal, that are even beginning to surpass the pass rates that you find in former Model C schools, in your independent schools as well. This is the progress that we've been longing to see in our education system. At the same time, <clears throat> fewer learners are dropping out of school. We have increased funding for poor and working class students in universities and Tivet colleges significantly over the past five years. Over the next five years, we will focus our attention on expanding access to early childhood development and improving early grade learning and reading where we are already beginning to see progress. Moving early childhood development to the Department of Basic Education was one of the most important decisions that we have taken as we are now able to devote more resources to early childhood development and ensure that through cooperative governance, various departments of government do get involved in the childhood development programs augmented and led by the Department of Basic Education. Our, our policies and programs have over the course of 30 years lifted millions of people out of dire poverty. Today, fewer South Africans go hungry and fewer live in poverty. In 1993, South Africa faced a significant poverty challenge with 71.1% of its population living in poverty. However, under the democratic government, there has been a consistent decline in these numbers. By 2010, the poverty rate had dropped to 60.9%, and, and it continued to decrease, reaching 55.5% in 2020, as reported by the World Bank. Now, this progress has been made possible by extensive support to those in society who need it most. 
Five years ago, we introduced a further measure to tackle poverty by introducing the national minimum wage as envisaged in the Freedom Charter. The decision by key role players, they being business and labor and communities, they took a decision to introduce the minim national minimum wage. And this has immediately raised the wages of over 6 million workers who support their families. In the midst of the pandemic, we introduced the special SRD grant, which currently reaches some 9 million unemployed people every month. We have seen the benefits of this grant and will extend it and improve it as the next step towards income support for the unemployed. These grants and subsidies do much more than give people what they need to live. They are an investment in the future. Many people tend to dismiss this and say we are establishing a dependent society. We are investing in our people and investing in, our, in their future as well. Social assistance has shown to increase school enrollment and attendance. It has also shown to lower dropout rates and it has also improved pass rates. This is what social assistance to our people does. South Africans today are living longer than ever before. Life expectancy has increased from 54 years in 2003 to 65 years in 2023. The World Health Organization DG says this is a phenomenal, a phenomenal development because many countries do not just move from a 55 years of life expectancy to 65. Maternal and infant deaths have declined dramatically. We have built more hospitals and clinics, especially in poor areas, providing better quality of care to more South Africans. We are building new hospitals and one of those which is a state-of-the-art type of hospital is the Limpopo Academic Hospital, which is currently under construction as we speak. Now, I had, anecdotally, a good representation of how our healthcare system has been improving. When the ANC held its anniversary birthday, there was a bus accident where five people passed away and scores were injured. They were taken to our hospitals in Pumalanga and in Limpopo. Now I went to see some of them and when they were asked that don't you want to move to a private hospital because 
you are on a private medical aid as a result of your job or whatever. Many of them said no. We are being well looked after here. Now, I see you love this. Now, this is what I experienced in just talking to those people who were lying in bed, who were injured, who testified that they were being well looked after in rural hospitals in Limpopo and in Pumalanga. Today, 95 persons diagnosed with HIV know their status. 79% of those receive antiretroviral treatment and 93 of those are virally suppressed. New HIV infections among young people have declined significantly and yet while our health system has had great impact on people's lives, we are working to improve both the quality of healthcare and equality of access. The National Health Insurance Bill has been passed by this House, the both houses, and that will provide free health care at the point of care for all South Africans, whether in the public or private health facilities. Now the bill has arrived on my desk. I'm going through the bill. <laughs> yes, I'm looking for a pen. I'm looking for a pen. <laughs> we plan to incrementally implement the NHI dealing with issues like the health system financing, the health workforce, medical products, vaccines and technologies and health information systems. One of the most visible, impactful and meaningful achievements of the first three decades of freedom has been in providing homes to our people. Today, nearly nine out of every ten households live in a formal dwelling, as said by the Statistician General. Where there were once shacks and mud houses with such roof, they are now homes of bricks and mortar. There are homes with water to drink and to wash with, homes with electricity for lighting and cooking. At the end of apartheid, only six out of ten people had access to clean water. Today, the figure has increased to nearly nine out of ten South Africans. We are working. We, we are working to ensure that subsidized housing is located close to work, close to education and other services. 
but for services to be delivered, local government has to work. Now, when it comes to housing, we are also embarking on new and innovative funding mechanisms. We have tested this in the Northern Cape, where we are doing what we call front-loading. And we launched together with Premier Zamani Sol a project that will result in 4,500 houses for a billion rand funded through the Development Bank of South Africa. Now, this is an innovative way. And we are now putting into practice these new methods of funding infrastructure to enable us to ramp up infrastructure so that the infrastructure build can power our economy and create more jobs. Too many municipalities are failing on governance, financial and service delivery measures. These constraints affect every aspect of our people's daily lives. We have started the implementation of a number of measures to address this problem by providing support to local government, including professionalizing the civil service and ensuring that people with the right skills and the appropriate capability are appointed to key positions. That people are not appointed because they know so and so and so and so. The presidency, the national treasury, and COCTA are working together to enhance technical capacity in local government and to improve planning, coordination, as well as fiscal oversight. Now, through the presidential imbezos that we have held across the country, we have seen how the district development model has brought together all spheres of government and key stakeholders to address the service delivery challenges in communities. The district development model has proven to be an effective instrument to enhance cooperative governance and collaboration. Through this model, we are breaking down the silos that we often find in government where we enhance government departments working together and all layers of government also working together adhering to what is set out in our constitution. We will continue to broaden and deepen this process. Tackling crime and insecurity is a key priority. South Africans deserve to live in a safe environment to walk freely without fear in their neighborhoods and public spaces. During this administration, we have focused on equipping our law enforcement agencies, which had been systematically weakened to do their work effectively. We have strengthened the ranks of the police through the recruitment of 20,000 police officers 
as I announced in the past two saunas, over the last two years, and another 10,000 will be recruited in this year as well. An extra 5,000 police officers have been deployed to public order policing. The South African Police Service has launched a very effective operation or initiative, which is Operation Shanela, as a new approach to target crime hotspots, which has resulted in over 285,000 arrests since May last year. The Economic Infrastructure Task Teams that are operational in all provinces have had important successes in combating cable theft, damage to critical infrastructure, as well as illegal mining. Through close collaboration with the private sector, we have seen a reduction in security incidents on the rail network. We launched the new Border Management Authority last year to improve the security of our borders and have already stopped well over 100,000 people who tried to enter our country illegally. Together with the civil society, we developed the National Strategic Plan on Gender-Based Violence. Together with civil society, and SS society-wide response to this pandemic. Around 21 billion rand has been dedicated over the medium term to the implementation of the six pillars of the plan, including the economic empowerment of women. New laws were introduced to strengthen the response to the criminal justice system, gender-based violence, and provide better support to sub survivors of such violence. Our ultimate goal is to end gender-based violence altogether by mobilizing all of society. And as part of this, we support the call for a pledge that men in South Africa should be invited to sign, to take and demonstrate, to ensure that they demonstrate their personal commitment to ending this scourge. Now, this initiative of signing a pledge was initiated by young boys at a school called Benedict. They have drafted a pledge that men should commit and sign to. And we discussed it at the cabinet Lakota and felt that we collectively as the men of South Africa as well, taking our cue from young boys at the school, should also be mobilized to sign this pledge. Women are also drafting their own pledge, which will speak to the issues of women and their experiences on gender-based violence. This pledge, yes, 
will be flighted publicly and I will be, and the Deputy President and everyone else in Cabinet will be the first to sign this pledge. We still have a long way to go to build safer communities, to prevent violent crime, and protect our infrastructure. But there is no doubt that a professional, well-trained and properly resourced police force working closely with our communities will make our country a safer place. And it is therefore a further call for the setting up of community policing forums that should be effective, which we as government have committed to fund. Today, every South African can hold their heads high, confident that we have assumed our rightful place on the world stage. We remain committed to playing a constructive role on our continent and around the world for the realization of a better Africa and a better world. We will continue to play an important role to silence the guns throughout our continent. Our engagement with the parties in the Russia-Ukraine conflict through the Africa Peace Initiative are progressing. We engage in these peace efforts because we believe that even the most intractable conflicts can be brought to an end through negotiations. Guided by the fundamental principle of human rights and freedom, we have taken up the Palestinians' cause to prevent further deaths and destruction in Gaza. We know that there are some in our nation who do not support this cause that we have embarked upon. We have, we have welcomed the ruling of the International Court of Justice that Israel must take all measures within its power to prevent acts of genocide against Palestinians. And we condemn the killing of civilians on all sides and call on all parties involved in the conflict to commit to a peace process that will deliver a two-state solution as resolved by the United Nations. We will use our foreign policy to pursue our development goals. During our leadership of BRICS last year, we witnessed a new chapter for BRICS, the BRICS family of countries. The expansion of the group from five to ten countries presents opportunities for trade and a strengthening of political and diplomatic ties between countries in the Global South. We will build on the progress we have made in establishing the African Continental Free Trade Area 
which will transform South Africa's economy and that of the continent by creating new jobs and increasing economic participation across our continent. And we will place Africa's development at the top of the agenda when we as South Africa host the G20 next year in 2025. The achievements over the last three decades are a testament to the power of collaboration and partnership to address our most pressing challenges. Our country has a vibrant civil society, a powerful union movement, and an engaged private sector. Over the last five years, we have worked with these social partners to address challenges such as to keep people safe and to distribute vaccines during the COVID-19 pandemic and to mobilize a society-wide response to gender-based violence. In the past year, we have come together with our social partners to end load shedding, to address the challenges in the logistics center, sector, to tackle crime and corruption, and to also accelerate job creation. This is the South African way of building a social compact, working together on tangible issues, and it will be the key to building a new society in the years to come. This is the last State of the Nation address of the Sixth Democratic Administration. This is the last State of the Nation address. The last five years, the last five years have been a period of recovery, rebuilding and renewal. We have had to revitalize our economy after more than a decade of poor economic performance. We have had to rebuild our public institutions after the era of state capture. We have had to recover from a devastating global pandemic that caused great misery and hardship, that closed businesses and cost our nation many jobs and lives. And we have had to confront and overcome 
a debilitating electricity crisis that despite significant improvement in recent months continues to hold back our economy. We have come a long way in the last five years. We have built on the achievements of the last three decades and we have taken decisive measures to address the immediate challenges facing South Africans. We have restored the independence and capability of our law enforcement agencies to tackle corruption and crime. We have worked to advance the rights of persons with disability. We took great pride in making South African Sign Language the 12th official language of our country. We have safeguarded and promoted the basic rights in our constitution, such as the freedom of speech, freedom of the press, association and belief. We have defended, yes, media freedom, and we have also defended the independence of the judiciary. We have protected and advanced the rights of members of the LGBTQI plus community and continue to combat all forms of prejudice and intolerance, and particularly also to people with albinism. We have made significant progress on measures to grow our economy, to create jobs, and to reduce poverty. While we have set in motion the process of renewal and reform, there is more work to be done. To see these reforms through to the end, we will see the work that is underway that, and ensure that it goes ahead. Mishumo Yeraitoma Kahe Mingwahamitanu Iko Vera Panda Ido Zura Ichi Vera Panda Leon Kelemisebenzi Esaikala Isaukubega Bayatanda Noma Abatandi Isaukubega And working with our partners we will be able to revive our economy. Yes, we will tackle and deal with the debilitating effects of load shedding, our ports and the logistics. We will continue to strengthen our law enforcement institutions. And we will continue to tackle gender-based violence and fight corruption to make South Africa a safe place for all. We will continue to strengthen local government. The initiatives that I spoke to will go ahead. We will professionalize the public service and increase the capacity of the state so that the state can serve our people better. And we will ensure as the Auditor General has said, that we should hold those in office accountable and there should be consequence management for those who do wrong things. 
we will continue to position our economy to grow and compete in a fast-changing world. And we will also support small businesses by providing funding, by providing resources to small and medium enterprises, and to give young people opportunities to thrive and to start their own businesses and to succeed, and to provide social protection to the vulnerable. We will continue the work to improve the country's fiscal position and hold firm to a sound macroeconomic trajectory. We will use the opportunities provided by the African Free Continental Trade Area to increase our trade and expand our industries. We will continue to protect workers' rights and improve their well-being in places of work and to make sure that our workers are well treated. We will continue to build an inclusive economy focusing on the empowerment of black people and women South Africans. Yes, we will intensify land reform and pursue a just energy transition that leaves no one behind. Fellow South Africans, as we celebrate these 30 years of freedom, we must remain steadfast in our commitment to our constitutional democracy and its promise for a better life. We should not give in to those who resist the responsibility that the Constitution places on us to correct the injustices of the past and fundamentally transform our economy and society. We must remind these people of the obligation that the Constitution places on the state to progressively realize the rights of everyone to housing, healthcare, food, water, social security, safety and education. By the same measure, we should not allow anyone to diminish vital democratic institutions, to denigrate our judiciary, or to challenge the constitutional authority of this parliament. We should not give in to those who seek to divide our nation, to incite violence and undermine our democracy. As in the past, as in the future, the people of South Africa should stand together against any attempt to reverse the achievements of our democracy. As the chairperson of the Constitutional Assembly, I worked with many great leaders of our country to craft a constitution that truly reflects the will of South African people. As president, I see it as my primary duty to defend our constitution and to work every day to realize its promise. As we move Welcome back. That was uh, the State of the Nation Address uh, for the Republic of South Africa, delivered uh, before the South African Parliament uh, in Cape Town 
uh, was delivered uh, by President Cyril Ramaphosa. And uh, we're going to conclude our program for today. You've been listening to the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast for Friday, February 9th, 2024. We've been broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. If you'd like to have access to this program, all you need to do is go to our website, and that's at the Pan-African Radio Network, and that's at uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. If you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire, so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. We'll close out uh, with the music of jazz legend Shirley Scott uh, from her 1967 album entitled Now is the Time. This is Abayomi Azikawe signing off, and have a beautiful week.